Welcome to RAQA Today, the podcast that puts the fun back in quality, compliance, and regulatory affairs. Here's your host, Michelle Lott. Today, we're going to go over where we stand in the MDR in general. We're going to talk about the theory of constraints that exist between all the stakeholders and the data, whatever happened to harmonization in the first place. What I'm calling second verse is same as the first, uh, you know, kind of not the first time we've, we've sung this song with the MDR extensions. We will go through some of the key MDCG guidance documents and also how they work with Team NB position papers to prepare you for, um, for better for success under the MDR. And then final thoughts and pointers that I gathered through my uh, interviews. For this process. Also, this is an update to a, a webinar I did for Greenlight last um, November, December timeframe. So if, if you're not familiar with that, you may want to go back and watch that and just see how in a little over a year, the um, concepts of MB, MDR have both evolved while some of the problems have remained the same. So I think that that would be an interesting kind of comparison. So to prepare for this uh, presentation, I interviewed over 10 people, uh, I mean, 20 people, and five were specifically from a variety of notified bodies in a variety of different positions. There was also where this really differed from the data that was available a little over a year ago is that instead of just one or two different surveys that were out, there are now at least four surveys that capture a variety of over 500 different um, stakeholders in industry and notified bodies and throughout the process. I also have spent over 80 hours researching and documenting and trying to find a common theme and story amongst all of the data that, that was available. However, I do want to give the disclosure that uh, this information is current to the best of my knowledge to yesterday, but that has been subject to change about every time I thought I had this presentation close to complete. Somebody moved one of the chess pieces uh, in the MDR regulation. Also, amongst these surveys, some of the data and the numbers look different. So I, I kind of picked the one that that had the most consistent story across. Uh, so if you see some of the, the numbers that look different from side to side, it's, it's the context that I had available to, to draw from. So where we stand today, we have uh, conflicting problems with the, uh, the number of MDR applications that are filed and the certificates issued. The, the number of applications filed is exponentially higher than the number of certificates that have actually been issued under MDR. But we're going to see in a second, all of those numbers pale in comparison to the certificates that haven't even been applied for under MDR. So this has been an ever-growing problem. And also note that although this uh, graph only goes back to February of 2021, um, the date that one of the first notified bodies gave the first certificate under MDR was actually September of 2019. But you can see 2021 is actually where they started consistently being able to produce MDR certificates. 
So this is a tale of three surveys uh, uh, between the team notified bodies and the MDCG or Medical Device Coordination Group survey of notified bodies. And they're, while they're not telling the same um, number, they're not consistent among, among the numbers and the scope of the problem, you can tell that they are, um, the, the problem has been growing uh, every year in terms of understanding exactly how many certificates are out there that are gonna be um, expiring. So if we look at MDR by the numbers, there are greater than 85% of the MDR certificates that are still outstanding for MDR application or haven't made it through the process. These eight, this 85% of certificates represents about 500,000 devices um, of the previously certified devices under MDD and AIMDD. 70% of the industry that submitted applications, 70% of the applications submitted by industry are still under review. And that's that 70% of that 8,000 applications that were received. So 50% of the companies that were surveyed or planning portfolio reductions in that they are going to keep some of their portfolio on the product just may market, but just maybe they're not their full range of products in that product category. Whereas 33% of that 50% said that the devices uh, sold by them were going to be discontinued in the MDR altogether, not just a portfolio reduction um, to, to narrow down maybe the product codes or SKUs. And 50% of the companies are deprioritizing the EU as their market entry point. And this is the, the, the percentage that's going to give you the idea of um, the, the, the EU under MDR is no longer the, the place that people want to bring innovative and new products to market first. And then further up to 30% of small to mid-sized companies still have no access to a notified body for the ones that are actively trying to bring products to market. If, if we look more specifically in, in these numbers, the number of MDR certificates that were supposed to be issued per year, and this came out, this number came out a little over a year ago, was an anticipated 6,300 certificates across all of the notified bodies. Since then, we've only been able to issue just under 2,000 certificates. And again, that, that is issued to date since the start of MDR, not just issued since they said that, um, that the notified bodies should be able to issue 6,300 per year. So the number of notified bodies that are currently designated as of the end of January was 37, um, leaving only one reasonably close to the final stages of designation um, in the, the certification pipeline. The number of MDR certificates, if you look at the um, European Commission proposal that they said that should be able to be issued between January, December, January timeframe of 2023 to all the way through um, May of 2024 is, is 7,000. So according to the EU commission, 
they say that there are 22,793 um, is the number of MDD certificates that are set to expire in May of 2024. So therefore you can clearly see that increasing the number of notified bodies is not going to be enough to get us to this, um, this position to where there's not gonna be a, a significant reduction in the number of devices available for patient care in the European Union. So what MDR has introduced and the, uh, the extension is going to, you will see how it's gonna exasper exacerbate is a theory of constraints in which party is going to be the stakeholder that is going to prevent this, the overall goal of getting these products to market? Is it the competent authorities that are issuing these regulations and the deadlines in the first place? Is it the notified bodies whose responsibility it is to police and enforce the regulations that the competent authorities have come up with? Or is it industry who at the moment it's evident that they're protesting the MDR by the lack of companies who have applied for MDR applications out of the number of certificates that are set to expire. If we look at the constraint around the notified bodies, we originally started this process with 126 notified bodies, and we're down to 37 that have been redesignated underneath MDR. And then here you can see that even these ones that are in the later stages it are um, at best, we've got three more that have passed their capital review and waiting on the final report. And at best, the final uh, CAPA has been received for only 41. So there we're looking at, you know, we're only got three, four, five um, more notified bodies reasonably close to making it through the pipeline and being published finally in Nando. So the competent authorities, to, to our published knowledge right now, haven't really done anything on their behalf because it's the competent authorities responsible for designating the notified bodies that need to figure out the efficiency of their own process to get the, the total of the 62 people who have applied under MDR all the way through the pipeline published in Nando and ready to take business under the MDR. This is still left notified bodies. Um, regard, I had one notified body tell me it doesn't matter if we are 26 or 36, it's not gonna change our constraints around our resources sources and the, the certification process. So for the MDR certificates, you've got these activities around the preparation for their own recertification audit from the competent authorities to maintain their designation. You've got the need for them to support the currently active MDD certificates and surveillance of the, um, the technical file monitoring. You have recertification of the currently issued MDR certificates. So of the 2000 that has been um, issued, they have their own recertification activities associated with that. And then um, last but certainly not least is the loss of experienced staff via both uh, the great retirement and some errors that um, I feel like the competent authority made when they first started 
un, undesignating companies to audit to the, the MDD and MDR. So what the notified bodies thought was going to happen as they were pulling designations was that notified bodies would consolidate and the larger notified bodies would buy or absorb the smaller notified bodies and their staff so that the competent authorities were monitoring overall a fewer number of notified bodies, but there shouldn't have been a change in resources. Well, a lot of people decided that they didn't want to bother with learning the MDR and and because a lot of this they have to pay for themselves and their certification process. And they either went into retirement because they were close to the end of their careers, didn't want to start something new, or they went back um, to industry or became consultants as the MDR came out. So um, not so we had a an incorrect assumption by the competent authorities about what the resources would be coupled with the notified bodies being um, with the double whammy of the great retirement. So from the surveys and also from my interviews, we were able to confirm that the main challenges for the constraints around the manufacturers continue to be clinical evaluation, testing and verification requirements. The requirements for legacy devices at trying to keep those certificates active while they are pursuing their MDR. Establishing a more quantitative benefit risk profile because along with clinical, the expectations for risk management and the understanding of benefit risk have uh, significantly increased. Um, the applications around Udamed and its functionality or lack thereof um, that was supposed to be complete by now. And then the volume of guidance documents coming out from MDCG. Many industry stakeholders felt like these guidance documents were coming out before they could complete a particular activity with their notified body, which led to a lot of rework and reinterpretation of the guide of the the technical documentation that they they had turned in. So when I spoke with the notified bodies directly, they were telling me um, what every one of them told me the same thing. Their number one problem, the first notified body, clinical. The second notified body, clinical. Third, clinical. Fourth said clinical, and as did the fifth. And the reason this is significant is because this is the answer to um, my question about what, why are notified bodies finding 50% of the technical files deemed incomplete and that they can't even start their review. And the notified bodies were consistent that the number one area that industry is missing the mark on their initial applications is this clinical area. So why is it so challenging? Well, it's twofold. First is that the MDR changed the uh, expectations around which products were not only gonna require a clinical data, but clinical review. So there were um, the lower risk, say 2A products that didn't require an actual clinical reviewer or clinical data before. And then you couple that with uh, an increased scrutiny of the reviewer qualifications. So now it's harder to find pe people 
that are qualified to do these reviews. So this has created an influx of new, the number of new reviews and an influx of new reviewers. But even though they're new reviewers, there are other, other older reviewers that are no longer considered qualified. So overall, the number of reviewers has become a constraint in both training new people and the loss of uh, people that were deemed previously qualified. So this causes a variety of problems in the clinical review. It creates new biases in review because you have got people um, that are, are clinicians that are recently trained and unfamiliar with regulatory paradigms um, that are introducing their perhaps their own biases and preferences into their the clinical review process. Um, you've got two sets of clinicians. You've got ones that you know might have moved into this clinical review position um, as a full-time job and maybe out of practice in terms of maybe they've been doing clinical reviews for the last, say, five years, and they are they up to state to um, par with standard of care and what's considered state of the art in terms of reviewing the newest technology. And then you've got the newer reviewers that are now stuck behind a desk instead of treating a patient. Um, you know, clinicians be become clinicians largely because they like treating patients. So there's all these dynamics that are creating um, a constraint specifically around the clinical reviews. So um, of all the people I talked to, here are some of the highlights of what pe people are saying throughout this uh, MDR process from a variety of stakeholders um, that I felt like really captured the emotion and the sentiment around what the MDR um, process was like. I've heard everything from it's chaos everywhere. The ones that will do okay will be those with deep pockets. It's a seller's market. The review will take you longer than it took to assemble the technical documentation. The EU is headed for a problem that most people don't know they have. This is going to be a six-figure problem. The MDR has this harebrained stupid rule in it. And one of my favorites is somebody quoted the prayer of St. Francis seek not to be understood, but to understand. So while this feedback is less technical in nature, it really captures, I think, the, the feelings and the experience people are having with this process. And again, these are, these are stakeholders throughout the, the industry that are making these comments. Other common trends I, I saw across all of my, my interviews is the, the words that were expressed to dis, describe um, this process and what it was like for, for people. But among all of the words that they used, the three top ones that came up over and over again were chaotic, overwhelming, and expensive. So whatever happened to our harmonization? Well, if we take a look at the, the political um, picture in the EU, we've got the standard 27 member countries. 
We have the European Free Trade Group that's almost as if a, a second party, but an observer and acknowledger of the EU. We've got Switzerland that is now essentially a third party because they're not acknowledging as much of, especially the MDR that um, Europe anticipated. And then the, Europe, the United Kingdom is doing a whole other thing altogether now. Um, and the Northern Ireland versus Ireland is, is also an observer to both the UKCE CA and the CE. And then Turksic is still a complicated process where we're not really sure um, what, what's going to happen there um, as all of this continues to evolve and progress. Now, here's a, a quick update on the UKCA. And now I want to just preface this with saying I got all of these dates right off the UKCA website, the government website about the UKCA. And these dates are all over the place um, as far as figuring out what you should do when. So they say everything from um, you can, that, that the deadline is extended until the 31st of December, 2024 in two conditions. Um, in which the UK product regulations are amended and you have, a, you, can, you have the flexibility to choose between UKCA and CE markings, but where the EU regulations are amending, um, you have to apply, you have to use your CE as it was applied December 31st of 2020. And then they also say things like, well, we're going to uh, extend some of the um, conformity assessment as long as you're, it's undertaken by December 31st of 2024 that manufacturers um, as the basis of UKCA marking until December 31st of 2027. However, in other places, they say that in July of 2024, the UKCA mark is mandatory um, and any significant changes to your product after July 2024 will require UKCA immediately. And then again, they've got some um, discussing some transitional things around the labeling that will be able to, to use the UKCA with the CE mark until July 31st of 2027. I mean, sorry, December 31st of 2027. So, and I asked one of my friends in the UK uh, that is a um, authorized uh, person for that market. And they're like, no, it, it really is all over the place. And the, the government has not made it very clear what their, their transition timing expectations and dates are going to be. So you add in the complications of the Switzerland story, and this is probably one of the, the more logical things that has happened in this whole MDR shuffling around, is that, that the Swiss came out and said that they're concerned for the welfare of their own population and that patient safety is officially at risk. Um, and as such, they are going to make an effort to, uh, to create a legislation that recognizes U.S. clearances and approvals. So who would have thunk um, that the FDA would have been uh, every, everybody's sweetheart 
you know, say back prior to 2017. So the Swiss kind of went back and forth, um, you know, with are they going to participate in the mutual uh, recognition agreement or not? It expired in May of 2021. And then in October of 2022, Team NB publishes the survey that makes it clear that there is not going to be enough devices under MDR certifications by 2024 to um, have enough market uh, devices on market to um, ensure patient safety and treatment. And then shortly after that survey in November of 2022, the Swiss Parliament votes to adopt the Swiss law um, to, or to move forward in adopting a Swiss law um, to keep uh, FDA or to allow FDA products on the market. And then um, the extension happens the next month uh, or the proposal for the extension in December, 2022. And then in early 2023, we anticipate a final Swiss federal court um, to write and enact the new legislation around allowing FDA devices on the Swiss market. So this is all left us all saying, well, what union? Because on top of, you know, the Brexit and the UK pulling out and Switzerland kind of going its own way with adopting the US, we also have France, Germany, and Ireland that have officially um, voiced that they want to postpone the MDR deadline beyond May of 2024, manufacturers, trade groups, and regulators have all raised concerns about the capacity of notified bodies to handle the workload and the willingness of the industry to place applications. So this is certainly not the harmonized regulatory landscape that the European Commission had envisioned when they drafted the, the MDR, um, especially even among the EU member states. So if we look at what I'm calling uh, the second verse, same as the first, we have the seesaw of indecision. We're back in 2017, the uh, European Commission said, we will for sure have things like the common specifications and Udemed and everything that we need in place by May 26 of 2021. And then, okay, in April of 2022, we were saying, well, maybe it's appropriate to defer by one year. And then by June of 2022, we're saying that the, they, they are saying absolutely MDR will be fully applicable for all medical devices and uh, there will be no exceptions. And then just six short months later, we're, the European Commission is saying, hold that thought, maybe we're really not ready. And it's like, okay, they really drew a pretty strict line in the sand with manufacturers in June of 2022. And it's not like they didn't have the data or see this coming for them to make this proposal in December. So it was, I felt like that that MDCG guidance document was extremely short-sighted with how the problem um, had been building. Is MDR coming or not? They, in that uh, proposal, the commission said that the overall capacity of conformity assessment um, or notified bodies remains insufficient to carry out the tasks required. 
Many manufacturers are not sufficiently prepared to meet these strengthening requirements. And this has led to um, threatening the availability of medical devices on the EU market. And then they went on to say in the same proposal that this is going to cause shortages of medical devices that are going to put patient safety at risk and also have a significant negative impact on innovation. So if we look at who, what, when, and how long, it, the extension is going to apply to manufacturers who have a signed and written agreement with a notified body by September 26 of 2024. It also applies to those manufacturers whose application and the ability to get an application launched has been impacted by the lack of notified body resources. So again, the extension is going to only apply to the legacy devices with valid certificates that meet specified criteria. Um, the, the transition period will be till December 31st, 2027 for the higher classification devices, 3 and 2B, until December 21st, 31st, 2028 for medium and low risk devices. So for legacy devices still under the MDD, um, the, the MDD products with active certificates must have an MDR application submitted and accepted to a notified body by May 26 of 2024, and their contract signed for that application by September 26, 2024. Or you have to prove that you have contacted a quote, considerable number of designated number notified bodies to under and then undergo the derogation process under Article 97. Now, I even looked up considerable in the dictionary to try to find anything that I could put context around. How many notified bodies do you have to go to the competent authorities with, um, with proof that you contacted and they said, you know, no, thank you, or call us back later, or just ghosted you. Um, and so there was no context available. Um, and so me and a friend made it a, a kind of a, a joke, but it, it actually, I think, is a logical approach that if, if you look at, you know, now we have 37 notified bodies. What if you, you said, I'm going to take an AQL sampling of those notified bodies? But I can't just take my AQL sampling at random. I have to figure out of that 37, which subset has the MD, MD uh, codes to review my device in the, the first place based off of my technology. Are they even designated to uh, review my technology? And if you take that subset of numbers, you may only come up with, you know, one two, maybe three. And if you take an AQL based off of that and you only had one that was designated to take your, your product in the first place, you know, can you make an argument that I contacted this one and, and there's my considerable number because nobody else is yet designated to review my technology. You must continue to comply with the MDD and also add the, a QMS element that is compliant with Article um, 120 of the MDR, and this all has to be in place by May 26 of 2024. There can be no significant changes to your device during the extension period. 
the device cannot present an unacceptable risk. And in those cases, the, there will be no sell-off date if the device is placed on market before the end of the new transition period, whereas the previous transition period sell-off date was May 27th of 2025. The problem is, is that you really need to uh, kind of bust out your college algebra here to figure out what, what is happening, what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, and then what is going to be really the impact or benefit um, to the, the EU market and the number of devices? Because it just doesn't add up. So where we're at now is 8,120 applications. Of those, only uh, less than 2,000 have uh, MDR certificates issued. There are nearly 23,000 MDD certificates set to expire by May of 2024. The commission says that, that there technically should, there technically may be a way to issue 7,000 certificates before May of 2024. And we really feel like this is likely if you look at their, the run rate on their clearance of notified by, of certificates, we really feel like that, that we'll be doing good if this is just another thousand by this time of next year. So this could reasonably by May of 2024 have led to um, 425,000 devices that won't be available under the MDR uh, without immediate and drastic action. But I'm afraid that this extension and its terms aren't going to be enough to provide the relief for the, the patients and the availability of devices that the commission thinks it is. Here is the current deadline for the full, either full compliance to the, the MDR or the MDR application under the extension. So the extension, you have to have your MDR application placed in, in May of 2024, and your contract has to be accepted and signed in September of 2024 to be eligible for your active MDR certificate, certificate to remain valid. The problem is, is that in this six months or so, you may or may not be able to get a, uh, an application all the way through the review and quoting and acceptance process with a notified body. I had more than one that tell, told me that it's taking nine months to for applications that are lodged underneath the MDR to make it through to the contracting process. So this means that you really need to lodge your application in January of 2024 so that you know that you're not going to be a lame duck by September of 2024. You need to have you you need to get on the schedule and have your technical document reviewed for class three or and two B implantable devices. We feel no later than 20 months before the uh, December 2027 deadline um, based off of the review times for these more complex devices. So that means by March of 2026, um, or you could run the risk of your certificate you know, running out of time and you're not complete with your notified body review. So where does that leave? Do you have to go through a derogation at that point? 
it's uncertain. Similar time frame for the class 2B, 2A, um, and class 1 devices that require notified body review. Just that, that, that timeline is a little bit shorter for your technical document review around, you know, 14 to 18 months. So you should start in August of 2027 to ensure that you don't have that um, lame duck certificate by December of 2028. So the notified bodies I talked to feel that their constraints remain despite this, uh, this extension. They said it does not really help with the capacity or workload. And come 2028, they feel that they will still be in the same boat. And they said, again, it didn't matter if they were 36, 46, or 26, they're all fighting for the same resources and not enough resources. So the extension has done nothing to alleviate the, the burden of the process or improve the what, what it would take to hire qualified resources. Further, they don't have visibility to the tidal wave that's coming because so many manufacturers have yet to apply to the MDR. They don't know if their clients are going to withdraw from the MDR altogether um, or, or Europe altogether. If they're just waiting to see what happens and they're gonna file a last minute um, ninth hour applications, they, they just don't know what their workload is going to really be and what that volume of certificates that they're going to need to get issued in before 2027 and 2028 is really going to be. Further, the proposal is not clear regarding the MDD certificate maintenance if they're going to have to continue to do surveillance, which further restricts their resources. They all, the notified bodies also have concerns about bias that is built into this timeline. It creates a natural priority and pressure for notified bodies to process higher risk applications to meet the 2027 deadline and push out the 2018 applications later. So imagine that you are a uh, manufacturer of say a lower class 2A device and you put your application in last month and that uh, a manufacturer of a class three device puts their application in this month and you get your contract first, but, but what if the notified body pulls their application or their technical documentation review ahead of yours because they have a year less in which to get it done? What if you're a manufacturer of a new device that is not marketed on the EU yet? Where do you even fall in the queue given all the, the sheer volume of the number of certificates that are expiring? And the whole goal of this extension is to keep devices that are already on the market available to patients in the EU. You know, does this leave you with actually um, needing to wait until 2029 to reasonably um, get in the queue with a notified body? And then finally, those who put their applications in early, could they potentially be penalized by this system? Given in the U.S. that we have uh, the Super Bowl um, <laughs> coming up this next weekend, I thought this was super funny. Ball start offense, two-year penalty. 
So there are some options. Um, one is less desirable than the other, though they're both fairly unpalatable. Um, Article 59 is, is a methodology where manufacturers don't necessarily have to plan on pursuing CE marking because this is something, and this was an analogy that was given to me, imagine that there's a zombie apocalypse and we need to get this device to market right now to present, prevent the zombie apocalypse and we don't have time for all this CE marking nonsense. But the problem with this is that you still have to prepare all your documentation and you have to turn it into a national competent authority to prove that your device is compliant with MDR. You still have to do your post-market and then you still have to be able to identify that it's of ongoing critical uh, importance. And you have to do this in each member state uniquely. So this is really, um, it's a lot of work and, and it, it is, can be quite the pain. Whereas uh, the on the day that the proposal first came out in December, there was article also a MDCG guidance 20, 22-18 that came out the same day. Through this methodology, you only have to apply to a single member state and it will be recognized throughout the European um, Union. But manufacturers have to show evidence that they're working towards an MDR certification. And it, it has, they have to be able to demonstrate that they've made a reasonable effort to comply with the MDR and contact a considerable number of notified bodies. And again, remember the problems with what does, what does considerable mean? Um, and, and both of these, these are so vague, reasonable and considerable. There, there's just, I, I wouldn't even say so much room for interpretation, but it's like, what does it even mean anyways? Um, and then further, most of these applications are only gonna get, be given a 12 month window to receive their CE mark. Um, as we're seeing just the application process, if they can't get an application and the application process takes nine months of that 12 months, they're not gonna be able to get their MDR, QMS audit and their technical audit in that rest of that, um, that three month timeframe. So I don't really see how Article 97 is going to be that beneficial unless, again, they've already been making process, uh, progress on, on these efforts, significant progress. Another um, constraint of Article 97 is that it's not for a single product family, it's for a single product. So say you have six products in your um, wound dressing product family that may used to fall and might still fall underneath one technical file, you have to do six derogations per product. And for things like um, catheters and sutures that come in a variety of, of different, just where the only differentiation might be size, uh, you can, can imagine how burdensome this, this could become. Finally, we got the competence of competent authorities it, because the Article 97 derogations have to go through competent authorities. They don't go through um, notified bodies. Um, competent authorities don't have a quality management system of their own about how these processes should work and, they, and files should flow through their um, process with consistency. 
They are government bodies, so their hiring is slow, their training is slow, and change is very slow. And we already talked about the, the bar that they raised for clinical reviewers for the notified bodies. If notified bodies can't get these people, who in the world is government bodies going to get to um, uh, staff these positions that are reviewing these applications? And then um, they have got smaller budgets. Um, how, so how are they going to fund the resources that they need for this increased role? So some, one of the things that, that you can do to better empower and equip yourself is be very familiar with the MDCG guidance documents. They have published a plan for 2023 and the documents that they want um, to, to put out there. And so be familiar of what could be coming. These are the key areas in which they publish um, these guidance documents and they have different um, work groups dedicated to every, every one of these topics on, on this list. Make sure that you read the guidance documents that were written for the notified bodies, not just the ones that were written for the manufacturers. Learn how the, the notified bodies are expected to assess you. Use the templates that are provided to assess yourself. And, and understand how the notified bodies reports are structured because they get their report gets audited by the competent authority. So if you can't audit a question on their report or their template, they're not gonna be able to answer that uh, question to their competent authority. These uh, and, and these documents uh, for the notified bodies usually have twice as much detail as those for manufacturers. Um, so make sure that you're, you're paying attention to these. So these are the most notable um, guidances uh, for notified bodies and manufacturers. I'm going to go through the, these quick, quickly. Um, these are the highlights of the notified body guidance documents. So if you haven't read them, you know, go back, reference these slides. Um, they're going to kind of tell you the high level um, key takeaways for each one of them. In the interest of time, I, I think I've, uh, we'd be better served on some other um, applications. Also be aware that Team NB has position papers. Team NB is uh, the, the collective of MDR certified uh, notified bodies that have, or MDR designated notified bodies that have come together as a group to say, okay, there's this MDCG guidance on this, or there's this topic within an MDCG guidance document, and we need to come together and agree on our interpretation so that there is some kind of consistency um, so that we're both successful and industry's more successful. So they have a total of 26 papers that they have published of various topics. And this includes everything from like procedural things, like modifications of sampling plans, how uh, different templates that they agreed to use amongst themselves, technology topics like cybersecurity. And, you know, one of my favorites that's cross-cutting no matter what, the best practice for the guidance on the structure of technical documentation. So be sure to also consult these and, and know these as well um, between knowing the MDR, knowing the MDCG guidance documents, knowing these team, team NBs is how you're going to be most equipped 
to be informed um, about what your technical documentation should look like. So some final thoughts on the MDR. Is it I, the five notified bodies I talked to are all competitors. And one common theme that came out was their, their top takeaways for their recommendations for what can industry do better uh, or need to do, need to do period or do better. Um, they all reference portfolio management. Say you're making sutures and you have six different suture types. Do you, do you really need all six types or will your portfolio be adequate and better represented with a single suture? Be aware of the, the push documentation strategy for in the MDD versus the pull, uh, push under MDR versus pull under MDD. Um, notified bodies are expecting everything up front. Clinical reviews, um, how many resources are dedicated to your the whole understanding and preparation of your clinical documentation, and then just start. So let's look at those in more depth. You really need to know your cost for uh, of products for each and the products you want to market in each market and do a, uh, an analysis because in the, the EU, you've got particularly, you've got all different um, constraints around um, tender markets that are going to affect your viability. So maybe there are markets that make more sense to bring products to market than the EU first. You need to do that financial analysis and for that, you're going to need um, help from your, your marketing team. So marketing and regulatory, you're going to have to look work hand in hand to do a, a hard and financial analysis of those products and a cost analysis from the regulatory side. So regarding the details, all of the original EC assumptions around the transition to MDR um, have been invalid. So just be aware that, that this is going to be a constantly shifting sands of, of expectations and, and requirements because, you know, they within six months changed their, their opinion and stance, you know, almost 180 degrees from a guidance document that they put out in June of last year to the um, proposal they put out in December. So this latest extension is not going to resolve all or maybe any of the issues with the MDR and getting products to market. And the top problems now are going to still be the top problems in a few years. So the concessions made by the EC um, benefited the notified bodies in giving them some more space and breathing room for applications that are largely already in or ones that can read the applications that can reasonably be processed and turned into contracts by September of 2024. The companies that did the right things at the right time still may be the only ones who survive. Frenemies, now one of the, the benefits of some of the latest um, concessions by the, the commission and the MDCG groups is that they can't take such a hard line 
uh, around the, the definition of consulting of notified bodies, that notified bodies should be able to have conversations regarding their expectations. And there is a difference between an expectation, like telling you, this is my expectation for what this looks like, not telling you how to do it or what to do, but just communicating up front even what are their expectations for different components of the technical documentation or even how the relationship with them is going to work. So clinical takeaways, this is a big one given that it was the number one problem in the technical documentation against all five notified bodies that I talked to. They all mentioned the need to include um, surveys uh, as a element of your clinical data plan. And then also uh, including these as your ongoing post-market surveillance. They, they also um, said that this is uh, where um, your marketing teams are going to come in handy because if you have good relationships with a particular um, care facility or department in a hospital, that that department's going to have a vested interest in helping you keep your product on market and they'll be happy to fill out surveys, but your surveys need to be have clinically meaningful questions, not just trying to collect only good feedback. You need to be, your questions need to be objective and they need to collect objective feedback and to do one as part of perhaps your um, initial clinical um, data gathering. And then in your post-market um, surveillance, post-market clinical follow-up, uh, do another survey at a later date to validate that the, the findings of the prior survey. You need to be inclusive of all data. They said, don't just think that this is telling, telling the clinical reviewers what you think they want to hear. This is supposed to be telling them um, everything that's out there and then doing your benefit risk analysis to justify the, the existence of the unfavorable data. So marketing needs to be an active partner. Um, again, I mentioned that they need to have a role in helping you coordinate your surveys. They also need to be having a role of um, helping plan uh, the product portfolios against the regulatory needs, planning, and timelines. Um, marketing and regulatory can no longer afford to be at odds and marketing can no longer afford to be disconnected from what the regulatory requirements are and just give regulatory marketing plan here, you know, I want to market this globally. Uh, that's just not going to be, let lead to a, a, a healthy revenue um, stream or profitable por product portfolio anymore. Now, this is one that I felt was fairly radical. One of the notified bodies told me that they got clarification from a competent authority because this came up in their NDR reassessment um, and they got an observation for it. And then they subsequently adopted this technology, this, this definition scheme. Um, what be mindful of, of what they deemed standard of care devices. Um, that, that they say are defined in the MDCG 2020-6, uh, 
which if you read it, the, the, termination, the terminology is extremely confusing because it's, ta it, it's, it's referencing the WET article from the MDR, WET Well-Established Technologies, and then the guidance document seems like it's expanding on upon what is and it, it it's very confusing this this person said that that they're considering the devices that meet the criteria within that guidance document to be standard of care devices versus wet are the or the the handful that are literally listed out you know device by device in article 61 these are things like the sutures. Make sure you're having discussions with your, your notified body and that you're not confusing standard of care devices with the concept of state of the art or standard of care in the clinical context of the CER process. The example um, for standard of care device might be an x-ray machine. There is, when you break a bone, the standard of care device to take a picture of it is an x-ray machine, period. That's, that, that could be a standard of care device. Whereas wet, again, things like the sutures. Be aware that you can use data from similar devices, but this is not an equivalence argument. It is a similarity argument where you, you roll that up into the context of this bigger picture that you're painting with all of these other clinical data sets. And this is just one picture of piece that you use to put into to that picture. Um, also a good strategy for your clinical point data plan is, you know, look across all the streams in which you can collect clinical data and you know, have a, a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and a plan D, and use as much of the, the different types and streams that you can to, to paint that clinical picture. When I said, what is the single biggest recommendation that you can give to industry? The first notified body says, start. The second notified body said, start. The third notified body said, start. The fourth notified body said, start. The fifth notified body says, don't wait. So if you're gonna go to Europe, you really need to start the process as close to yesterday as, as you reasonably could. So closing with some words of wisdom from Jimi Hendrix, there must be some kind of way out of here, said the joker to the thief. There's just too much confusion. I can't get no relief. And unfortunately, I don't think this extension is going to provide the relief that many people were hoping for. So that's all I have for today. I am happy to entertain your questions um, for the remainder. And then be sure to go on my um, website and get our regulatory pathway assessment and the business market assessment. These, these two work together to help with analyzing that product portfolio and the potential reductions that you may need to do from a, a business sense. Awesome. Thank you, Michelle, for all of that. We have um, lots of questions, so we'll just jump right in if you are ready. So the first one, um, 
pretty commonly seen a few times in these questions. What are you saying as a timeline from start to finish? Have you seen, like, do you have any, any guidance on how long people can expect it to take removing the external factors that you talked about with the notified body constraints? But once you have yours, you submit yep. to certification. You know, the, what is being very consistent is six to nine months for the application process from application to contract. Um, from contract to the time it actually starts is kind of been all over the place, to be honest. So I really don't have any good data on that particular window. But from the time that the review starts, you should anticipate at least 12 to 18 months. I would say no less than, than 18, because even if you get the review done in 12, you, you still have the period of time to issue the certificate, which is on top of the review. Now yeah. I, I did take, I talked to one person that was so diligent working with their notified body before their notified body was designated under MDD. I mean, MDR, but, and they did not have an MDD certificate, but they were just like, you know, calling them every day, you know, just really working this relationship that when their notified body got designated, they were one of the first, even though they didn't have a certificate already, they were one of the first people that got an MDR review. Oh, I'm sorry. I just realized that it skipped one of my most important slides. I'm Let's gonna go back, back for just a second, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, I, I'm sure you noticed there was a delay and so some things advanced too quickly. So this, this is huge because I heard this from, from more than one person in industry that had MDR reviews and they're like, we don't know what happened. We had, um, we had um, major nonconformities for MDR, under MDR for just a documentation that wasn't provided that we had. All they had to do was ask for it. And, and they didn't ask, we, they asked for X and Y and we, we gave them X and Y, but they wanted X, Y, and Z. Well, I was talking to a notified body and they just volunteered this information. Then all of a sudden it clicked to me. It, they said under MDD, the notified bodies would pull the documentation. If you turned in a set of technical documentation and clinical documentation that you thought was a reasonable what for what you thought that they were looking for, they they would say, okay, I see this, but I would also like to see these other things. And they would pull it from you. Under MDR, they're expecting you to push your documentation to them to give them everything that they need relevant to the topic that they're reviewing so that they don't have to tease documentation out of you. And an example of this would be say, that they're, if they are looking for an internal audit, they're, they're saying, we, we need a, a picture of your internal audit procedures. Send us things like your SOP and your audit, your schedule. So they send them SOP, audit agenda, and then they got a major nonconformity for not sending evidence that the schedule was fulfilled. The last audit report, all the corrective actions associated with the 
the, that, the internal audit. So that's just an example of a, a huge mental and paradigm shift that industry needs to be aware of when they're answering questions with a notified body. Another question, can we apply for both QMS and MDR certification at the same time with the notified body? You can. It, it will be two different work streams and likely two different audit dates. And yeah. So if, um, earlier in your presentation, you were talking about kind of like the, um, the things that are causing this lack, you know, a lot of companies pulling out maybe or changing strategy. Um, one person wanted to kind of talk a little bit more about that of, do you feel it's, if you had to put one or the other, is it more a protest of the MDR and industries or just a misunderstanding or lack of understanding on guidance on what you need to do for the MDR? I think it's both. I think that industry is that there's a lot of people thinking that if I keep holding my breath, that that something different is going to happen. But no matter what the extension, the, the, the several extensions now have done, they've not, they've only rewarded the people that were preparing for MDR. They haven't done anything for the people who weren't preparing to be ready. It, it, does that, does that make sense? Yeah. It does. Um, and then I think that also for, um, I would say probably 80% of the companies that aren't just the huge conglomerates financially, most of their products don't make sense. And you think about like financially, like you think about how many products in the care environment are, are almost commodity products that are, are dollars to the end user or tens of dollars. How yeah. is that company that's competing with the huge companies going to afford enough market share to pay for these costs with the MDD? Yeah. And on that same um, cost conversation, I know like my experience notified bodies, you can do your dedicated or your standard review, dedicated more money, speedier. Um, and that was one of the questions of, can you pay more to get a speedier review? Oh, oh I'm sorry. I misunderstood that question. So, no, no, you're, what you asked, this is a, another question for you. Okay, so yeah. you answered was spot on. Um, but going off of that, do, is it standard for a notified body to have that speedier review? And are we, are you actually seeing that there is that ROI on paying for a speedier review with how bogged down they are right now? Well, First off, you've got to figure out if a normal, if you can afford a normal review, that's that's step one, because that, that's a real serious expense in and of itself. And then step two, can you afford to at least double it? At least double it. Because I do know somebody that paid for that expedited review. They got, they and they did get a, astounding turnaround time, but they, play, they paid literally double and um they uh what they, they paid double but they they needed it for for the next tranche of money to be released in their investment um so for for the companies that are new they didn't they're not the legacy they're not transitioning do you think that the extension 
for those companies, if a, a large amount of companies are able to get the extension, do you think it opens the door for those new companies to be able to get reviewed sooner? Or do you think it's not going to have a big impact across the board? And to be clear, we're saying they don't have a certificate right now. Right. Yeah, they're trying to get their device onto the market. I, I would say they can try, but um, realistically that they are probably looking at 2029 just just because I, all all the resources are going to be scrambling to keep devices that are already on the market on the market yeah but they should uh they should consider going to i would say one of the the newer or smaller notified bodies so in that so for those you know what eu is no longer the new preferred market for entry what are you seeing as the new market to go to? Well, you guys know how much I talk about MDR. And most of my business is coming from Europe for people who want to go to the U.S. Because not even Europe wants to do Europe first anymore. Yeah, And, and so U.S. is becoming that new uh, rest of world launching off point that the CE mark used to. Yeah. Um, I'm helping somebody right now with their quality management system that is uh, going to get a 510k in the US have no intent to commercialize here. They're they're intending to use it, you know, across the Middle East, across Latin and Central America. Um, so so yeah. Yeah, I would definitely say I, I'm seeing US across the customers I work with as well as more and more the first country people are going to. Um, and even some of my customers that are customers that are in Europe. So I'm seeing, we're seeing that as well on our end. Um, so what kind of a twofold question here, what would you recommend to manufacturers that their MBD cert is going to expire before the 2024 date? And what, if you could recommend something to the you know European Commission. What would your recommendation be? So the the first part is if they still want to maintain that certificate, they need to get an application with that notified body as soon as possible. Assuming that that notified body is MDR designated. If they're not, they need to be asking specific questions. Where is that notified body in that cycle that I showed you with the graph that had the notified body number funnel on it? They need to understand how, how close that they are to be able to be get, because the, the real drop dead for that certificate is, is twofold. It's May of 24 to have a application and September of 24 to have a, a contract. That would be my thing there. And to the European Commission would be, I would recommend where you're going to get real relief is finding ways between the processes between the competent authority and the notified body to lessen that whole designation process requirements or expedite it. And then also be more clear about what the expectations are for the surveillance of those MDD certificates that are still taking up resources that are pre preventing things from transitioning to the MDR. 
finally, just be more clear about your expectations. Don't throw out this, all these vague things and leave it to everybody to run around and figure it out for themselves. You know, say what you yeah. mean and mean what you say and say something that's meaningful. Yeah. Agreed. Like wholeheartedly. Um, Another question for you. So for Switzerland, um, with the whole the FDA using that, um, the question is, does this mean that this only applies to class one and class two devices being marketed in Switzerland from U.S.? Well, we don't know yet because the legislation's not drafted. Um, I would be I would think it would more obviously apply to class three and class two products in the U.S. because you have an actual document from the FDA from mm -hmm. those submission processes to show. But for class one devices, it what, what is a class one in the U.S. may or may not meet what was a class one or is a class one in Europe. So, so I would think that that category would be a little bit more up in the air. Yeah, no, totally agree. Um, so there's some questions about manufacturer versus supplier. And if you're a supplier, how are you supposed to submit if you're trying to you know, get your CE mark? Do you have any guidance around that? So are we talking something that sounds like where we're talking about their why would a supplier get a CE mark unless they're an OEM? And that, that you yeah. know, maybe right. the answer because one, one is that they are developing SAMD under the name of a, another manufacturer. And the other is um, they, they're basically asking, it seems we have to be consider the supplier as a manufacturer. Should we say we, like, are they a limited scope manufacturer according to their quality assurance agreement? Yeah, so no matter what, you can't outsource the legal responsibility. Like the person whose name is on the product can't outsource the legal responsibility and they will be the ones that are responsible for the technical file. So I would say I'm going to control that person through my supplier controls procedure and my quality agreement. And um, then I would also make sure that in that quality agreement, that I have the rights to all the technical documentation that I'm going to need to turn into that notified body for that technical file. But this is also a part of the, the reason why MDR um, was problemated is that Europe was getting a little irritated with the whole virtual manufacturing thing. And just pointing to somebody else's documents and quality management system and saying, oh, well, the contract man manufacturer considers that proprietary. That's why I don't have that piece of information or the exact material contents or specifications. I saw some questions and more so comments come through of, you know, people wanting more more guidance. Where do you suggest if you're looking for guidance, if you're looking for help on MDR, where do you find your best resources? So outside of those MDCG guidance documents, then the next tier is the notified body guidance documents. And then find people that put it in as plain of English as it can be. Like, you know, Monier from Easy Medical Devices is like a podcast madman. 
Um, you guys have got a great podcast that is always covering some specific topic for M MDR. Um, Eric Volgrick from um, Axon Lawyers in the Netherlands is, is a really outspoken person and, and will have something out almost as soon as, as it happens. You know, follow my LinkedIn. You know, not only are you going to be caught up to date, but I will entertain you as well. It seems like this is one of those things relying, falling back on that medical device community is huge here because everyone has to learn from one another because it's so new right. and we don't, you know, we don't really know what they're expecting and what they want. So, you know, well, using your resources. And, and we all compare opinions amongst each other. It's like, we have like a mini support group and we're like, did you see that? Like, what do you think that means? I don't know. Um, I think, so we're coming up on last five minutes. So I think best way to wrap it up here is if you could give just like two big takeaways for companies that are tackling MDR, what are the two big things you would tell them? I just think where my own understanding was like, oh, in this whole process of this interviews I did here was that last slide that I went back to do, the push-pull versus documentation, because it's, it's a huge paradigm shift especially with you when you think about how we treat the FDA. Mm -hmm. We treat FDA in like strict pull, you know? And then the whole, um, the, the, the slide I had with the clinical takeaways and the, the need for surveys, as you know, a survey might not, is not gonna take the place of a, of, of a PMCF or a, maybe even a clinical study or, or some other more in-depth uh, clinical data, but, but a survey is definitely a way, an easy and, and less expensive way to ease that clinical burden and show that you put one more piece of that puzzle together. Thank you, Michelle, for your presentation and all of your insights during the Q&A portion. And thank you, everyone that was able to join. Thank you again, Michelle. Hey, thanks. I appreciate it, everybody. Bye.